This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, December 9th. I'm Rita Del Judas. And I'm Virginia Allen. Congress is trying to reach a bipartisan agreement on a COVID-19 relief package before the end of the year. Garrett Best, the Vice President of Government Relations and Communications at Heritage Action for America, joins the show to explain what is in the proposed bill and just how likely it is that Congress will be able to get it passed before the Christmas holiday. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed a lawsuit Tuesday against Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin, four states in which election results have been hotly contested. Paxton's bill of complaint reads, using the COVID-19 pandemic as a justification, government officials in the defendant states of Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, collectively defendant states, usurped their legislature's authority and unconstitutionally revised their state's election statutes. Because of the changes these four states made to their voting practices without the consent of state legislatures, Paxton is asking the Supreme Court to declare that any electoral college votes cast by such presidential electors appointed in defendant states, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin, are in violation of the electors clause and the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and cannot be counted. Because the case is being filed between states, it immediately rises to the level of the Supreme Court. Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy said Tuesday that he will be firing and suspending 14 personnel members, including enlisted soldiers as well as officers at Fort Hood, due to sexual harassment incidences, violence, as well as suicides and murder. A report also released Tuesday looked into the murder of Specialist Vanessa Gillen, who was killed by a fellow soldier per the Washington Post, and how failures in leadership allowed sexual harassment and other crimes to fester at the Texas base. Here's what McCarthy had to say Tuesday during a press conference via CBS News. I've determined the issues at Fort Hood are directly related to leadership failures. Leaders drive culture and are responsible for everything the unit does or does not happen to do. I am gravely disappointed that leaders failed to effectively create a climate that treated all soldiers with dignity and respect, and that failed to reinforce everyone's obligation to prevent and properly respond to allegations of sexual harassment and sexual assault. Because of this, to restore trust and confidence and accountability, I have directed the relief and or suspension of commanders and other leaders from the Corps to the squad level. I have directed the relief of the three Corps Deputy Commanding General for support, the 3rd Armored Cavalry Regiment Command Team, and suspended the 1st Cavalry Division Command Team, pending the results of a new investigation into the command climate of the division. In total, 14 leaders have been relieved or suspended from their positions. In addition, we are directing investigation regarding Criminal Investigation Command resourcing policies and procedures. Accountability and transparency are foundational as we move forward. We have a great deal of work ahead of us. This is an initial step to addressing and fixing these issues. 
even though we are part of one of the most respected institutions in the world. Living up to the American people's trust is something we have to do every day. I believe in this institution and its officers, non-commissioned officers, soldiers, civilians, and their families with every fiber of my being because of the extraordinary things they do on a daily basis. I'm confident in our leader's ability to overcome this challenge and to continue to win our nation's wars while caring for our people. Former Vice President Joe Biden has chosen General Lloyd Austin to serve as Secretary of Defense. Austin is a retired four-star general and, if confirmed, will be the first black person to lead the Pentagon. Austin was the first African-American general to command an Army division in combat and has also led U.S. Central Command. Austin would need a congressional waiver to take on the role of Defense Secretary since he only retired in 2016, and current law requires military leaders to be retired for at least seven years before taking on the cabinet position. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Garrett Bess, the Vice President of Government Relations and Communications at Heritage Action for America, as we discuss what you need to know about the latest proposed COVID-19 relief package. Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right, and if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman, And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History, a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. We're here to set the record straight on the ideas and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today. I am joined by Garrett Bess, the Vice President of Government Relations and Communications at Heritage Action for America, the grassroots partner organization of the Heritage Foundation. Garrett, welcome to the show. Thank you, Virginia. appreciate you having me on. So this week, Congress is in negotiations over a COVID-19 relief bill that they hope to pass before the end of the year. Congress has really struggled to have bipartisan agreement with one another on this aid package on what should and shouldn't be included. So as we're as we're quickly approaching Christmas, Republicans and Democrats, they're talking right now about the possibilities of, of what should be in this package. So can you just give us a few quick highlights, big picture, what do we know right now about this bill? Sure, and um, you know, there's, there's basically two uh, separate debates that are sort of uh, being conflagrated together. Uh, you have the end of year spending bill that has to get done. Government funding runs out December 11th at midnight. Um, and this is something that we've known about for months. Uh, this is something that uh, tends to happen every every uh, year about this time. Uh, but on top of that, this year you have uh, work going on uh, to attach to that spending bill uh, an additional COVID uh, spending package. And uh, there's there's several main components to the debate, uh, while not necessarily all of them are being included in this first proposal that, that I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. The first one is basically uh, relief and help assistance for businesses and particularly small businesses. And that took the form of the Paycheck Protection Program uh, earlier this year, and uh, there's an effort to revive that program. 
Additionally, there's sort of health expenditures. So things that are directly targeted at COVID relief, such as uh, money for vaccinations, money for therapeutics, et cetera. Then there's sort of uh, what I would categorize as sort of economic stimulus type stuff designed to bolster the economy uh, sort of post-COVID or deal with the economic downturn of COVID. And uh, this is where a bulk of the debate is occurring. Uh, Many people on the left want to backfill the coffers of state and local governments' budgets from decreased tax revenue due to lockdowns. There's also an effort to uh, include another round of stimulus checks of some kind directly to individuals and families. And then there's a unemployment insurance provision that was included in CARES Act that in addition to the expanded unemployment insurance program that generally is functioning in sort of normal times, there was an additional $600 per week payment lumped in on top of that unemployment insurance payment. And this uh, resulted in people actually being paid more on unemployment than they were in their jobs. That was reduced in July to $300 a week, um, and that is set to expire. So that's part of the conversation as well. All right. So we're going to dive in a little bit deeper to kind of a a number of those elements that you mentioned uh, here in just a second. Um, But I do want to ask you, do we know right now, we're, so our audience knows we're having this conversation on Tuesday afternoon, things are changing quickly. um, But do we know right now how much uh, this bill is proposing? How many billions? Yeah. So um, just to, just to back up slightly from this week, uh, um, uh, for a second, there, there's been several proposals that have floated around. Primarily, the two main proposals were one from uh, sort of the Democrats led by Speaker Pelosi. Um, that was roughly $2.5 trillion of additional spending. Um, and then uh, Leader McConnell and Senate Republicans uh, sort of floated a much narrower, more targeted COVID relief bill that um, that roughly scored about $500 billion. So those, those have been the two basically competing visions for how to deal with uh, COVID relief over the preceding months. Uh, about this time last week, maybe a couple days sooner, um, there was a bipartisan group of senators uh, led primarily by Senator Romney from Utah uh, and a couple other Republican senators who teamed up with some Democrat senators uh, who came up with a proposal that is sort of the the base for a lot of the discussions this week. Um, it scores about $908 billion, so uh, roughly about a trillion-dollar spending bill. Um, and that is, that is sort of the base framework for the discussions this week. What ended up happening was uh, Vice President Biden, uh, from what we understand, called Speaker Pelosi and Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and said, you should take that, you should take that deal. Um, and then we can go back later uh, next year and get another round of, of spending um, uh, under our belt. So that was kind of the conversation that occurred that broke the logjam on the, on the left. And from what we understand now, um, it's essentially um, House and Senate Democrats agreeing that this is a bipartisan proposal that they would support. Um, supposedly, the White House is involved in talks about the only remaining sticking point is uh, House and Senate Republicans who have basically not signed off yet on this bill. 
All right. So as it stands right now, one of those elements that has potentially maybe sort of been tossed out in order to get that bipartisan agreement is around those specific stimulus checks that, of course, with the CARES Act, the majority of employed Americans were sent and many unemployed, obviously unemployed, a $1,200 stimulus check. So that's something that uh, Democrats really wanted again, but that's something that they're laying down and saying, okay, we can wait until next year to do that. That's an interesting debate that's going on because you actually have a wing of Republicans in Congress that want it as well. And they're not necessarily teaming up with the progressive wing of the Democrat Party, uh, but they are both sort of uh, on their own angling for the same goal, and that is direct relief to American individuals and families. Uh, it's, it's widely sort of discussed that there's another round of $1,200 payments, that that's what they're sort of pushing for. Now, whether they're successful or not, I don't know. I think that President Trump is inclined to agree with, with that argument, um, and so it'll be interesting to see how much he leans into it. Right now, they are not included in this bipartisan proposal. The main components of the proposal being reauthorizing the Paycheck Protection Program at sort of roughly the $300 billion mark, aid to state and local governments at roughly a $250 billion mark, and then the reauthorization of this additional supplemental uh, unemployment insurance payment at a $300 per week amount. So those are the like the three main components, and then there's, of course, ancillary components. Um, but currently, the direct payments are not part of the discussion. Okay, so let's chat about that aid uh, for small businesses and businesses as a whole. I, I know uh, for my own family, a number of whom run small businesses, this has been an incredibly challenging year. Um, and you know, the Christmas season is full of lots of expenses. People are really, by this time, kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. So for small business owners, is, is this going to be really critical relief what does this relief look like coming out of this aid package potentially? You know, I want to be careful in how I answer this because um, there's definitely a, a health component of sort of the spread of COVID that is impacting small businesses. And there's probably a warranted discussion we could have around making sure that uh, those small businesses can survive uh, short-term downturns. But a lot of the pain being inflicted on small businesses have to do with lockdowns that are not necessarily based on good, sound science and public health policy. And so I think there is sort of an initial amount of relief and assistance that should be provided uh, to small businesses, and that's something that Heritage uh, Foundation has supported, even going back to March uh, with an employee uh, retention tax credit. While the employee retention tax credit was not the uh, base program that ended up being formed, instead Congress came up with the Paycheck Protection Program uh, we're not for, sort of fundamentally opposed to the Paycheck Protection Program. We agree with its general merits, and we agree with the general way in which it's trying to solve a problem. But small business owners have had a lot of sort of mixed reviews about how well the program has functioned. Uh, we still believe that the best way to help small businesses and their employees is to maintain the connection between the employee and the employer and to limit lockdowns to localized situations for short durations of time as COVID spikes in a, in a particular small region. Uh, these massive lockdowns are really uh, have a negative impact on small businesses. In our view, the way to help small businesses 
is to reopen, allow them to reopen safely um, as quickly as possible. Uh, there's no amount of government spending that can replace the private sector economy. Yeah, I know that's definitely an issue that we have covered uh, closely here at the Heritage Foundation. Um, couldn't have said it better. That's such a priority to make sure that that connection, like you say, is remaining between uh, business owners and their employees, uh, and that allows for sustainability moving forward. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, you brought up earlier um, as we were chatting about the the controversial, one of the controversial elements of this bill being funding for state and local government bailouts. Many Republicans oppose this. You know, they say, all right, well, if, you know, if we're giving money uh, to these struggling states, to these struggling cities, what is often the case is you're just bailing out Democratic-run states and cities. Their budgets have been mismanaged for years. Already $150 billion worth of aid uh, was provided to state and local governments under the CARES Act this spring. Where do these negotiations stand right now around uh, aid specifically to state and local governments? It's a great question, and this is something that Heritage Action and the, and the Heritage Foundation have been leading the debate on uh, on the conservative side of the ledger for, for months now. Uh, so far, we have been winning uh, this debate. Conservative politicians on Capitol Hill have largely uh, stayed, um, stayed with us on this issue. Um, they have so far been able to keep uh, direct bailouts of state and local governments out of uh, the talks um, and out of legislation. Whether they're able to maintain that through this next round is is really, I think, up to organizations like ours to provide them with the necessary support uh, to to win on this issue, and also to Americans who agree with us to to call their elected members and 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 let them know that um, while it is the holidays and while a lot of people are focused on the ongoing issues with the presidential election and the two Senate special elections in Georgia, uh, we are also watching Capitol Hill, and the last thing that we want to see happen is for states that have been mismanaged for sometimes decades uh, to use the COVID crisis as an excuse for getting government money and just simply bailing them out of their bad decisions. That would be atrocious, particularly for Americans that live in states that have managed their budgets well, who have uh, worked hard through the years to keep their spending in line with their revenues, uh, to simply send money to states like New York, who in the midst of a COVID downturn, lockdown of the state, uh, increased, I, th I believe their state budget increased last year by $8 billion. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's, that increase is actually more than many states across this country entire budget. Um, that, that's a little shocking to believe, but you know, some of the smaller uh, states actually have, don't have huge budgets. And so for them to do that, um, and, and give state workers a pay raise while, while private sector employees are getting cut uh, left and right um, and, and governments are refusing to let them do business is just, um, just an astonishing mismanagement and we should not be covering for them. One of the really fascinating uh, parts 
of the bill that is being proposed, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he's been a strong advocate for including a liability shield to protect you know, universities, businesses, and, and other organizations from COVID-related lawsuits. So this isn't necessarily um, a financial gift, but it's a, it's guarding uh, people's finances. So uh, this is a, essentially a financial shield that would protect businesses from losing money on lawsuits. What are your thoughts on including a legal safeguard like this in the bill? Well, I think it's imperative. Um, you know, the the left is going to do everything they can to keep keep that out of any sort of discussion. Uh, but it is imperative to have that type of a shield in place uh, so that businesses that do try to just get their doors back open uh, aren't immediately swamped with lawsuits from people claiming that they contracted COVID uh, in that establishment. Um, you can imagine, I, I mean, government guidance on COVID has been um, inconsistent, to, to say the least, since March. Um, at first, you know, uh, we were told not to wear masks, then we were told to wear masks, and then social distancing rules were, were sort of uh, suggested at, at varying lengths. Um, I was at some place the other day in which uh, the local ordinance required 10 feet of social distancing. So it, it's just been it's just been uneven and... Uh, it's been uh, something that small businesses in particular have had a really hard time navigating. And uh, to put yourself in the shoes of a small business person who's simply trying to reopen their restaurant and serve food again uh, to be met with an onslaught of, of lawsuits um, would just be uh, disastrous for our economy. And so uh, including some sort of liability uh, protection as it relates to COVID, um, I think is imperative for, for truly getting our economy back on its feet. So Garrett, the clock is ticking though. Uh, we don't have we don't have many days before Congress is set to head home for the Christmas holiday. Uh, so can I mean can this bill be passed? I mean, do you yeah do you think it's possible before Christmas that this actually can get passed? Well, I do think it can get passed. Um, you know what? There, there's basically three really big pieces of legislation that are moving this week, one of which we didn't discuss, and that's the National Defense Authorization Act. This is the authorization legislation for the entire defense uh, department and budget. Uh, that we expect to, um, that's a whole different discussion. I won't get into that, but that, that, that is on the floor of the House today, and we expect it to be uh, passed by the House and then the Senate later this week. So that's one, one piece of legislation that's moving. Uh, December 11th, like I mentioned, is when government funding runs out. Uh, so that's this coming Friday at midnight. Um, you know, we could we could talk about the particulars of how governments shut down and why oftentimes our elected leaders choose Friday at midnight to to have government expire because it basically gives them an extra Saturday and Sunday to to negotiate a funding deal without the Americans really seeing the impact of a government shutdown. Um, but we expect the House to pass a one week continuing resolution to simply extend government funding for one more week. So that funding um, should pass the House and pass the Senate, which will give them until December 18th at midnight, which, you know, because that's also a Friday night, uh, will essentially give them until about December 20th uh, to negotiate some sort of final spending bill. So it, with that as the backdrop, that is how COVID negotiations are occurring. It's definitely possible to do this. This is this is a play that is well known in Washington. Um, the holidays distract people. 
the holidays also provide a means by which uh, many times elected leaders use to basically push rank and file members up against their own desire to get home to their families for, for Christmas and New Year's uh, to, to get votes that they otherwise wouldn't get. So this is a known playbook. Uh, they definitely can get it done. I think it'll depend upon organizations like ours to make sure that whatever passes um, is, is, not, uh, is not disastrous or the disastrous uh, elements are, are uh, mitigated in some way. Um, but I think if, if, you were to, if you were to ask me here on Tuesday, December 8th, whether I think it's likely that it will get done, I think there's a lot of desire to get these things done. But sometimes what ends up happening in D.C. is D.C. actually puts too many things in a bill and it sort of collapses under its own weight. You know, I think probably, uh, you know, we'll see how the, the next week unfolds, but I think probably there's just too many decisions. There's too much disagreement um, and that we will see some sort of several month continuing resolution uh, to kick government funding uh, down the road, uh, you know, another three months or so. And we'll be having this debate again in the new year. So if if I could ask you on a scale of of one to ten, with one being low probability and ten being high, how likely do you think it is that Congress is going to be able to agree and pass an aid package before the end of the year? Yeah, try to put me under on the uh, top seat here. <laughs> um, I, I would give it a, a middling chance, so I'd probably do somewhere around a four or five. Uh, there's a lot of energy that that is uh, designed to um, basically get a COVID relief bill done and attach it to an omnibus spending bill. COVID relief needs an omnibus spending bill to sort of ride on. And right now there's a lot of disagreements in the omnibus spending bill that we didn't discuss. So the first step in this process would have to be getting the omnibus disagreements ironed out. Um, That is a huge task in and of itself. Um, And then you have to pivot to getting the COVID relief disagreements ironed out. And, you know, frankly, um, I think that they're the, the sort of two sides are miles apart still on their main asks. So as long as they stay entrenched on their main asks and not sort of shelve areas that they disagree on, um, then I think uh, then I think it's, you know, I, I, I just don't think the COVID relief bills uh, uh, talks go much further. Um, you know, I think the other the other open ended question about this is whether Republicans um believe that this is going to be the last time that Democrats ask for more spending on COVID. I think largely they don't think that. Um, and they think that all, all Democrats are going to do is get this round of spending at a trillion dollars and then come back next year and bash Republicans again, trying to get more money. So I, I think the Republicans will probably dig in a little bit here. So that's why I give it like a four or five yeah. on the scale. Well, Garrett, it, it does, it concerns me a little bit uh, how loosely I, I do feel like, um, you know, Congress throws billions and now trillions around. Uh, and we've just seen this year our, our national debt is climbing and climbing and climbing. And of course, people are struggling. Businesses need relief. But does it concern you how it almost seems like we are at an accelerated rate becoming a little bit looser and looser? with the national pocketbook. Yeah, I mean, it's it's astounding. Um, you know, this bill, if it comes together, an omnibus uh, spending package along with a COVID spending package, um, this will be uh, most likely, uh, depending on what the final number is, the second 
uh, most expensive bill in American history. Uh, the first one being CARES Act, which passed earlier this year. Uh, so to your point, uh, between CARES and then this new round of talks, if they if they come to uh, maturation and, and actually produce a bill, um, between CARES and that bill, um, it will be most likely well north of $5 trillion of, of spending uh, this year. And between the two of them, uh, that is that will be the single biggest uh, expenditure in, in U.S. history. And so... I think it's. I think it's. Uh, I think we're at a really um, precarious point at which um, a bipartisan compromise bill at one trillion dollars is something that everybody sort of rallies around as a low number uh, piece of legislation. One trillion dollars is not is not small beans, and um, and uh, to add as much debt to our to our national debt load this year um, as we already have. Um, and potentially still are going to add in the in the next week or two um, is, is just really astounding. Um, we're we're sort of accelerating uh, down a path that we've been on for a long time, and and now we're just sort of throwing abandon to the wind. Yeah. Well, Garrett, it's going to be uh, interesting to watch over the next two weeks as all this unfolds and and what happens as we head into the Christmas holiday. But really appreciate your time today and you breaking all this down for us. Uh, Virginia, appreciate you having me on. Have a good Christmas. You as well. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.org.